Hello, Millennium Live listeners. It is great to be back with another episode of Millennium Live. I'm Connor Tui, the host of Millennium Live and the Millennium Live podcast series. Today, I am talking to a great health company whose commitment to health and mental well-being at the top of their list. It's great to have COA Health and to talk healthcare, mindset, mental health resources, and to help mental health plans. We have Jill O'Brien. She's the Enterprise Sales Director for COA Health with nearly 20 years of experience in the health and well-being space. Just a little bit of background on Jill before we get going here. She supports prospective clients in the health plan and payer market to innovate around their behavioral mental health strategies to align best-in-class digital tools and resources to serve those members effectively and affordably. And before her time at COA Health, Jill held roles as the Manager of Health Management and Human Resources with a consulting firm. She served as a consultant within the healthcare payer and provider system. And she also led internal health and well-being efforts for the faculty and staff at the University of Minnesota. Jill, thank you so much for taking the time and, and joining the Millennium Live podcast. It, it's great to talk to you today. Thanks so much, Connor. It's great to be here and appreciate the Millennium Alliance having me as a guest today. Of course. So, you know, the main, our main focus is uh, really it's mental health uh, and mental health for everybody. And I can't wait to get your perspectives. You have a lot of experience working in this space. That prompts my first question uh, for you, Jill, is, you know, what, what sparked this interest in the field of mental health? It's a topic that, you know, and I'm glad we are talking about today. What perhaps sparked this, uh, this interest in this particular field of mental health? Yeah, well, as you graciously mentioned in your introduction, I've been working in the health and well-being space pretty much my entire career, about 20 years now. And during that time, I've led wellness programs for employers and consulted with employers on their strategies for holistic well-being. And leading up to the pandemic, and certainly even more so during the pandemic, it became apparent that there was a significant need for a more focused approach on mental health. And without mental health, I noticed that all other areas of well-being were suffering, both in my professional and personal experience, I've observed people not getting the help that they needed when they need it for a variety of different reasons. I'm sure we'll dive into some of those here today. But I really wanted to be a part of solving those challenges. And that was a big factor of why I joined COA Health a little over a year ago. I was really passionate about making a difference for people who might be struggling. Well, Jill, I just want to say thank you. And we need more people like you. So I want to dive into those challenges that that you've seen and 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 some of these large barriers that are preventing access to mental health resources for health plan membership both in and out of the workplace. Yeah, from the the perspective of a health plan member, um, although we've made strides through the pandemic, stigma around mental health is still very real and a concern for many people. In addition to that, there also continues to be a healthcare provider shortage in this space, which we really don't anticipate being resolved in the near term. There simply aren't enough providers to handle the demand for mental health support that's needed out there. People are also expressing concerns about quality of care and the inability to get appointments in the moments that they need them. So as a field, I, you know, I believe we still have a lot of work to do to remove some of those barriers and challenges to accessing support for folks in the moments that they need it. It's great that we are, you know, we work in a place now where destigmatizing mental health is, is certainly making progress. 
but just from your experience, can you explore maybe a little bit further into really what's keeping people from accessing the mental health resources they need? You, you, you mentioned demand and what perhaps else is, is keeping people from accessing this? Yeah, I appreciate the follow-up question because it really is a complex issue. There are many folks who would really benefit from seeing a mental health professional, but for many reasons. We talked about stigma a little bit, inconvenience, the cost of care can be a barrier, um, difficulty navigating the healthcare system itself. And I mentioned no, no providers being accessible when someone might need it. And so as a result of all of those things, they may not end up accessing care when they need it. And the data shows that there's actually a lot of people in that camp. We know particularly in rural America, there's a significant provider shortage with about 47% of the U.S. population living in, in a mental health shortage area for, for care. You know, psychologists will also tell you that they don't have openings for new patients. The average wait time can be on average for a first mental health appointment around six weeks for just general support. But then for for people needing more specialized service, that can be even months um, or longer before someone might be able to get into an appropriate level of provider. You know, cost, I, I mentioned earlier, can also be a barrier. Even for folks who do have insurance, sometimes copays can be um, unaffordable. And actually, many providers in the U.S. Are, are private pay only, which ultimately means that they aren't accepting insurance for mental health services. So to put that in context, only about 56% of psychiatrists accept insurance in our country, compared to a about 90% of providers or physicians in the non-mental health space. So a pretty big gap there in terms of being able to use your insurance to pay for things. Barely over half. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's a huge concern for folks, um, you know, if their insurance isn't able to cover those services. And also, you know, there's folks who, who don't speak English as a first language, and that can present challenges for them as well to find care in their primary language um, and, and can be a barrier for them to even get in, into care in the first place. So you can see a, a multitude of difficulties that someone might face, particularly if they're struggling um, during a a certain time of their life. Right. Specifically those who, who probably need it the most. These challenges that you're bringing up, Jill, it, it's it, they're very relevant. And it's only getting me to think about what these social determinants might bring to those who need access to this care and aren't getting it. So perhaps, you know, and what have you seen in the field in terms of which groups are at, you know, a higher risk of going without the mental health support? At any point of our lives, all of us could be at risk for not getting help when we need it. But the people who tend to be at highest risk are folks living in rural areas with limited provider access. I mentioned 60% of rural Americans live in designated provider shortages. But we also see risk with older adults, people who are on Medicare, where many providers are out of network in in the Medicare plan. We know about 40% of licensed behavioral health professionals don't qualify for Medicare reimbursement, leaving those folks without care. Less than half of older Americans with a mental health condition are actually receiving the treatment that they need for it. So a large gap there as well. But also, as I, I touched on a little bit earlier, people who who need care in languages other than English, as there just simply aren't enough providers with multilingual backgrounds, particularly in the Hispanic population, about 70% report wanting treatment, but ultimately not being able to, to receive it. So why is providing access to mental health and well-being support really such a challenge for, for health plans? 
Yeah, from the point of view of the health plan or the insurer, you know, most more people than ever are needing support. Um, The risk for anxiety and depression quadrupled during the pandemic, driving up the demand for services. While the the supply of providers remained fixed during that same time frame, we also saw some improvement around stigma for mental health, which is, is a great stride that we've made. It contributed, though, to more people seeking care furthering the the supply and demand problem. There's simply not being enough providers to fill the networks and meet that demand. Health plans are also faced with the need to control cost while at the same time maintaining quality of care and member trust and satisfaction. And that can be a really difficult balance for them to achieve. But Ultimately, the traditional in-person approach to mental health isn't necessarily the right fit for everyone's needs. We know that about 64% of people don't access mental care, mental health care, citing that they have a preference for self-help or, or a lack of confidence in the treatment structure. And about three quarters of people belong to what we refer to at COA Health as the missing middle. And those people might benefit most from non-clinical care, such as digital first support um, or cognitive behavioral therapy delivered digitally. So many different factors that challenge health plans to getting these resources into the hands of the people who need them. Yeah, it's no one size fits all, that's for sure. And I kind of want to mention what, you know, you brought up COA Health and over there you're you're leveraging, it's leveraging technology and research to be able to adapt and give support to uh, unique circumstances. So in this conversation now, you know, how can how can digital tools that you mentioned help health plans improve access to mental health and well-being for the members, specifically those who, who have trouble accessing it? We believe digital tools are a great way for health plans to innovate and improve pathways to clinical care. It, it allows them to reach more members and provide expanded access to resources in a really discreet way that helps minimize the risk of stigma and friction. And they can really play the role of a digital front door to access all benefits that someone might have available to them, helping to create just an easy to navigate member experience and journey. You know, apps can help members stay engaged, not just with their health plan, but also just raising awareness to their own health and teaching them behaviors and coping skills that can help throughout their entire health continuum. You know, the other thing, kind of thinking about social determinants of health, we know that app-based support can be a great equalizer to getting um, all groups of people access to care. You know, 85% of, of U.S. residents these days across all age groups have access to a smartphone, and almost as high in rural areas, about 80% of rural residents have access to that smartphone. But also, people are telling us that they're willing to use digital health care. About 75% of the population, you know, will come forward and say that they would like to try digital health care versus the more traditional in-person methods. And also, the cost can be much lower. Delivering programming digitally can be a much more scalable option um, to try to keep those costs down. You know, at the end of the day, you know, I mentioned recently that we know people prefer self-help, that they have a preference for self-help, and digital tools really allow us to be able to serve and self-serve people in the moments and places that work best for them and when they need it most. You know, at COA Health, as an example, our most popular feature in our application is called In the Moment, and it allows someone to come in and express how they're feeling right then and there in the moment and be able to be served relevant, timely content right in that moment that they need it. And if they were waiting to get into a provider and, and it maybe took, you know, four to six weeks, that they wouldn't be able to have that moment to moment care and support when they were struggling. I mean, this is great. What about... um 
let's just mention the payers. How can payers address perhaps concerns around quality and efficacy? Yeah, I would recommend a few things um, that a health plan could look for as they evaluate potential partners and digital solutions. Um, first, that they look to understand the potential impact a solution can offer their population. RCTs or randomized control trials are really the gold standard for good reason. They they compare results for people who are using a tool against those who may be going without support or the intervention. I'd also advise under that they understand the research that they have behind the tools that they're purchasing, who's conducting that research and what type of research is being done. As an example, at COA, we, we collaborate with world-renowned institutions like Massachusetts General in Boston. And um, I'd also encourage them to understand the external and internal subject matter experts or advisors who are contributing to the content or therapy modalities that are being used in a digital solution. You know, ask the questions if they're if they're licensed clinicians or scientists, and what is their background to be able to contribute that that evidence based content. And you mentioned uh, you mentioned this briefly uh, in the last question, Jill. I want to bring it up: what these digital solutions can do, and I'm sure what you're seeing at Coa Health can attest to this. But how can digital solutions help resolve issues of uptake and engagement? I know you said it was easier and and, and cost effective. Yeah, apps, apps do generally um, offer easier access to mental health support and they increase engagement with their health benefits. But, you know, this only does work if the app itself has a positive user experience um, with, with engaging and relevant content. And so, right. you know, some things to be aware of and some things to look for, I would say, include, you know, having a user centric design, having positive user reviews. That's a great indication, as well as independent reviewers of solutions and apps to really understand what third parties are saying about the content, but also understanding what uptake rates are. The, the average that we see for digital health solutions hovers around 11%, so that's a good benchmark to use that you're getting the uptake and people are enrolling in, in the solution itself. But then also the time spent using the app. So it's, it's helpful to understand how much time is spent per use, as well as the frequency of use among active users to really be a marker for effective engagement. But some health plans are really also interested in understanding more granular information around what types of content people are specifically engaging with. If they have specific health risks or concerns within their membership, for example, they might be interested in content about sleep or anxious thoughts and, and how much people are engaging with those specific topics. So all of these metrics that I've mentioned can be, can be great to give a more full picture around you know, uptake and how people are engaging with any particular digital experience. I mean, that's a great approach. And I just have a couple more questions for you, Jill. And really with the digital perspective here, how can health plans cover this, the full continuum of mental health? And how can we solve these challenges that are presented to us today? Sure. Um, it's it's something I think most all health plans are trying to tackle. You know, most health plans are already covering the acute and clinical end of the spectrum for their members, though they may be struggling to fill provider networks and, and getting credentialed clinicians. Um, but what, what many plans aren't addressing is, is the preventive side of mental distress and that in-the-moment support for people who may not have a diagnosis yet or for whatever reason they may not have found themselves into therapy or in-person counseling. We know substantially fewer health plans are addressing what, what I've referred to before as the missing middle or that 75% of people who, who may not need to or may not prefer in-person therapy. But we know that their well-being could still be positively impacted by, you know, accessible 
accessible, inclusive tools when they're feeling down. And, and those tools could, could benefit them through behaviors and skills that can help them weather storms in their life before they get to that critical tipping point and find themselves in the more acute or clinically based end of the spectrum in, in, in a care system. You know, by getting people evidence-based resources sooner in that process or, or before they feel worse, health plans can really improve the quality of life of their members, but they, they also can impact other chronic conditions, physical health conditions that their population might have downstream um, and, and reduce or, or prevent escalation of costs that might be linked to things like diabetes or stroke, where we know they have um, proven links to mental health and, and exacerbate conditions like that. Well, all I know is that it's really great to talk about this and to make sure that there are solutions that are out there that could help improve the quality and overall impact of, of mental well-being. So before I let you go, Jill, I, is there any final thoughts perhaps to share for our audience and the, the parish providers uh, audience that we have, especially those attending the transformational assembly coming up this month? You know, perhaps a take on where the future and, and, and how this technology can really help bridge that gap and find that middle and perhaps whatever way you want to take it, uh, the long-term, short-term goals that you might have. You have a wonderful career. What, what, do you, what are your expectations and what are your thoughts going forward? Generally, I would just leave you with, you know, our, our overall belief that digital mental health solutions do have the potential, we, we believe, to help reduce or resolve gaps in the care system and facilitate smoother pathways to care. And at COA, we're, we're just committed to reaching people at every stage of their personal journey towards health. And we know that physical health is deeply impacted by mental health. You know, in terms of the future, we've designed our flagship product our mental well-being app foundations to serve as the foundation for a, a comprehensive continuum of care. And we're currently actually in process of actively expanding our offering and forging new partnerships to provide clinical services across the full spectrum of mental health as well. So from prevention all the way to acute. Um, we're, it, we're currently in the proof of concept phase there. So hopefully more to share and more to come in the future on that topic. Well, Jill, I can't wait to, to hear what the future holds for you and, and, and everything that's going on at COA Health. It's very impressive. So thanks for sharing all your thoughts today on Millennium Live, and we'll see you soon. Wonderful. Thanks, Connor.